0: Equal access to justice is a core American value. In each episode of Talk Justice, an LSC podcast, we will explore ways to expand access to justice and illustrate why it is important to the legal community, business,
1: government, and the general public. Talk Justice is sponsored by the Leaders' Council of the Legal Services Corporation. Hello, and welcome to Talk Justice. This is Kat Moon, your host for this episode. I am thrilled to be here and to be kicking off a series of conversations with Access to Justice leaders across the US. My goal is to showcase the amazing work being done by people who are truly leading the way to innovate and increase access by combining the power of technology and the principles of human-centered design. There are so many folks around the country doing this important work, work that can inspire and empower all of us to experiment and create, and in so doing, expand access to legal help wherever we are. I was so excited when my first guest agreed to share her current project with us. Amanda Brown has been focused on bringing technology, human-centered design, and operations principles to bear in expanding access for Louisiana's underprivileged populations, really since she graduated from law school. As founder and CEO of Lanyap Law Lab, Amanda recently led the Legal Access Points Project with a goal of increasing and centralizing self-help resources via physical access points in areas of Louisiana that essentially are legal deserts. Amanda documented the entire project in a digital report and it is a veritable treasure trove of information that anyone who seeks to increase access to legal self-help can learn from. And now, my conversation with Amanda, where she shares the origins of the Legal Access Points project including some big pivots thanks to COVID and hurricanes, and valuable insights that we all can take away and apply in our own work.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me Kat. As you mentioned, I'm Amanda Brown, founder and executive director of the Lanyap Law Lab. I am a Loyola University, New Orleans College of Law graduate, uh, a Louisiana native. So that's number one, how I ended up in this project, but. Importantly, I'm a former legal aid attorney turned justice tech entrepreneur. So, after spending some time doing a fellowship with the ABA Center for Innovation and coming back to Louisiana, really seeing the power of technology and design and its ability to address or at least support all the work going on to address the access to justice gap, I started Lennyap Law Lab to kind of fill that need here in our state. And it's been a crazy ride, I'll be honest, you know, we started off with information sites, and it's really turned into zooming out to a system level to understand how we can better serve Louisianans that don't have access to legal services. So all that kind of morphed into what I look at as kind of the pinnacle of my My career at this point and working on these access points.
1: So you started the lab in 2019, right before the pandemic hit. Yes. And when I learned about the specific project that we're going to talk about today, I went immediately to the very cool website you've created that operates as like a report and treasure trove of information about the site. So we will definitely include a link to that in the show notes. And the first thing I noticed is, as you're describing the project, which I want you to jump into and give us um, an overview, was your reference more than once to pivots, thanks to when the project launched and COVID hit and then a hurricane. Like, um, I, I was so inspired by... How those constraints really, it seems like they really shaped how the project evolved and very inspirational how you all were able really to thrive in the environment we've all been existing in. I think a great example of innovation happening in the midst of all these constraints. Can you give us an overview of the project and maybe dip into how those constraints over the past Two and a half, three years shaped where you went and how the project evolved?
0: Yeah, those are those. uh, That's the wild ride that I was referencing, honestly. We actually, the way that this project started was the National Center for State Courts has a grant program called the Justice for All Grant. I'm not sure if they're still awarding grants for that. I think it's been a year or two, maybe since they've awarded a new cohort. But the gist of it is that they had created this model for evaluating how individual states' access to justice systems were working together. So I encourage people to look on their website to kind of understand all the different components that go into, as they've identified, a successful or well-functioning access to justice system. So it was really started by us looking at that as a resource for us to get a A global picture of what's going on in Louisiana, and really put pen to paper about all the resources that we have, who are key players in our network. Importantly, who are the people that we're trying to serve in Louisiana, and bring all that together into like one cohesive, View about our access to justice ecosystem, so that we could be more strategic in how we're deploying projects and how we're talking about our resources to the public and how we're positioning the need for legal aid to legislatures and funders and all these things. So that initial phase, the first phase of that grant project, was all about doing that inventory and developing a strategic plan that would ultimately do all of those things that I outlined. I'm jumping the gun here. So that was kind of the first year of work. And uh, I should say really a year and a half-ish. Thanks to COVID, we we had all these grand plans. I'm a project manager. I'm very, at least I used to be. I, I honestly can say at this point, I'm just We hope for the best when we create a plan at this point, but just starting off in my career in this role, I was very intentional about, like, these are the milestones that we're going to hit. These are all the things that we want to accomplish. And then one of those being outreach to the public to better understand what their needs are and how they would like to interact with the justice system and just who they are in general. And COVID had other plans for that. So we had we had some community listening sessions planned across the state, which in its own right is a lot of work to coordinate with town halls and, you know, council people and libraries and, you know, all these amazing resources that are already in the communities that we're trying to serve. And all that got washed away by COVID. I think it was two days after our governor issued a stay-at-home order was our first planned event. So we really did have to pivot. If we were going to keep moving this grant ahead, we had to come up with some other way to answer some of those questions. So the long and short of that pivot gave us an opportunity to look at, I'll even say create and look at data in our state to answer those questions about, you know, who we're serving, what our resources are, and all those things. That Ultimately led us to develop a, a geographic information system, or GIS uh, for short, mapping project that really laid out what those assets are and the members of our population, and identify who we're really not doing a very, you know, effective job of serving. Whether that is because we simply can't reach them, they're too far away, and there's a lack of transportation, there's a lack of resources in these communities. There's a lack of internet and broadband. And as we're going into the pandemic, understanding that these are the key ways that people are going to be accessing the justice system and recognizing that they legitimately could not do that. We took all of that into consideration into a second phase of implementation, and that's really where the Access Point Project came from.
1: And the Access Point Project, I think, drilled down into one of the primary goals that you set forth. So the first phase, you did all this data discovery and really a tremendous blend of data collection, human-centered design, and you applied what you learned in this second phase. Can you tell us what the goals of the second phase were and how you implemented this phase to come up with really some tremendous brilliantly simple results.
0: Yeah, of course. So if I touch back on that GIS mapping project, that was not only was it incredible and one of the first times that we had had this level of data in our state to use to facilitate advocacy and make our point about how dire a need there is for access to justice in Louisiana, it gave us a really staggering statistic that ultimately led us to understand that most Louisianans that qualify for legal aid, maybe I shouldn't say most, but a large percentage of Louisianans that qualify for legal aid can't access it. It's a rural divide issue. And I think we all as a nation and maybe as the world to kind of recognize this once we started dealing with the impacts of COVID, how geography really plays into people's ability to actually have meaningful access to service. So that one statistic, I guess, that stood out was that 33% of Louisianans that are potentially eligible for legal aid don't have meaningful access anywhere in their community. So that number is, you know, 600,000 people that were really not effectively able to serve. And they're mostly living in rural environments. They're living in areas that have, if we were in the medical field, I'd say comorbidities, but you know, other factors that impact their ability to access other resources for instance, technology. And it pained me to see that as a technologist, all these resources that we're building to help these specific populations We're really unable to reach them. So that gave us the plan for moving ahead to put in physical resources in these communities through the legal access points and bridge that gap between really physical access to some type of resource and partnerships and the technology that we are wanting to implement in order to just make it more efficient and even a pleasant experience for people to get legal help.
1: It was through the data collection process that Amanda and her team identified these legal deserts across Louisiana. And with a goal to expand access to legal help in these areas, they then used a very intentional human-centered design process to create the physical access points that are located in public community spaces. And... Turns out that people are super curious about these phone booth-like prototypes they created and want to use them. I asked Amanda to share how the team came to design and deploy this prototype and why she thinks it's working so well.
0: I'll take it in two pieces, what the ultimate end product looked like, and then equally as important, and I cannot stress it enough, is the relationship building that went into finding locations to put these things. So in general, what I observed after building this thing out, we, in addition to doing that initial research to kind of identify the locations that we wanted to pursue, we then moved into those communities to hear directly from community members and did research there as well. So that was another pivot, if you will, we were impacted by Hurricane Ida. And that was, I think, maybe two or three days this time before we were supposed to travel up to our target areas and do outreach and have these events in the community. I was out of power, you know, it wasn't in the cards, I guess, at that time to go up there. So we ended up developing a survey instrument that we worked with local partners to gather information about who the members of the community are, and their particular issues. Because I think as we started having conversations with local partners, you observe how hyper local and how specific justice issues can be across communities. I would love for us to be able to identify that, oh, every population with this percentage of poverty has these types of issues most commonly, but that's not that's not the case. You know, we, we have very hyper-local pockets of legal issues. So doing that research was really important. And in addition to understanding those things, we wanted to also get a sense for people's preferences and what they had access to, whether that was in their home or at their in their local community so that we could build something that was actually responsive to their particular needs and within a reasonable, extent their desires for the ways that they would like to receive or access legal services. So all of that research played into strong partnerships with local organizations like libraries, community action agencies. It's nothing new, but it was, I can't overemphasize how important that was to this entire process and still is to making sure that people are using them. But one you know, factor that we had to consider was privacy. We're we're asking people to meet with attorneys or look up information about very sensitive topics. So I had actually used one of these phone booth type boxes during my time as a fellow at Microsoft, and it was extremely effective. Considering the entire open concept of the room that I was in as a little baby effectively in turn, having a place to have a private conversation was really nice. So I thought back to that and I proposed one of those as a solution that we could outfit with AV equipment, install, have particular physical assets in there that are responsive again to the the needs of the community and and put it in a library. That's where the first one was and I will admit there was some hesitation but ultimately, once we installed this, there's just a natural curiosity about what what is this thing? Like what what are we what are we doing here in the East Carroll Parish Library in, you know, Lake Providence, Louisiana? What's going on here? And people are just naturally drawn to it. So, in addition to of course the technology that we outfitted it with that really simplifies the activities that we wanted people to be able to accomplish in the booth itself, We also thought outwardly about how people experience and interact with that really intriguing booth. Like, we looked at this as an opportunity to, for lack of a better word, create some type of lead generator, you know, to help people get their feet wet and understand a little bit more about what it is. And then, oh, this can help with that. Let me go in and complete this experience. So that's really driven by educational materials, brochures, self-help forms that we had available in our state. And it truly worked. I observed it firsthand. I continue to hear that that's like a pathway that people end up inside the booth. So I'm actually very proud of that discovery because it was kind of a unknown. You know, you don't really know how people are going to think about this. And we even had feedback from one of my board members at one point like, I don't know if people are gonna take to that. It's weird, it's unusual, but thankfully it worked out in our favor.
1: It was an experiment, right? And one that sounds like it is bearing fruit. So as you describe in the report, the project created these physical phone booth type spaces that are access points. And so there's the physical element. There was a strong connection and further research through stakeholders and community relationships in order to get buy-in, to even be able to create the physical space for the access point. And then once someone steps into the booth, can you describe what you created for the entire experience so someone steps into the booth has a legal issue that they want help with what happens
0: so I love the characterization of it as an experiment because I think that's how I lead all of this there's low bar of of disappointment if you're like oh it's an experiment then great it didn't work let's figure out something else the software, too, is an ongoing experiment. So far, it's going well, but I really thought about, from my own experience, which is, now that I say that out loud, probably not the right <laughs> right approach, but <laughs> having, you know, been someone that has managed a statewide information website, like, you know, we have Louisiana Law Help, we have um, guided pathway tools as well it could be really overwhelming for people to interact with all of that. And modern, I guess, websites with like heavy navigation focus and all this, it can be a lot. So the experiment or the thesis that we're testing at this point is just very simple, action oriented, you know, speaking directly to people using language that speaks to them and helps them identify what outcome they want from their experience is really how I looked at the development of the software that was ultimately built and put in. So it's it's really simple. It's when you look at the page, there's only a few options for people. And as I mentioned, it's action oriented based on what you as a user want your outcome to be. So we have People that are just looking, they're just starting their process and wanting to look for information about their particular legal issue can have access to it's almost 90 civil legal topics. You know, my organization outside of this also builds content for the public. So, pulling that piece into letting people get access to information. Um, Having access to self-help forms um, for people that are kind of ready to take the next step or just want to have access to those types of resources, they can choose through a small but growing number of self-help forms that we are creating. Um, That's another side project. Uh, People also have the ability to get referrals to legal service organizations or to other reduced-cost legal service programs. For example, Louisiana has a modest means directory for people that can't afford to pay for full legal services, but of course, don't qualify for legal aid. So catching those people in the middle, as well as other services, for example, Louisiana Free Legal Answers to, and then of course, direct referrals to the legal aid organizations. And then For some jurisdictions, thanks to some work that our Supreme Court's Technology Commission has been working on, some jurisdictions also support virtual hearings. So we wanted to enable that as well. So it's just kind of a, I look at it as the options that most people have over the course of their journey through a legal problem, all the way from just getting started and having access to information to feeling empowered and having a collection of resources to take the next steps, and then ideally getting help and resolution of that, whether that's through negotiation with support from legal aid or attending a court hearing. So it's really a broad spectrum of services that people can access that we're very meticulously guiding them down a pathway through this entry point.
1: So that it can meet them where they are, right? Exactly. Yes, through the simple interface. The other piece I really appreciated, so you build the physical space, it is enabled by software, so there's the technology piece, and you also created a new set of physical brochures so that there is, again, it's not technology that is supporting, but a physical thing for folks to look at, to take with them Um, Again, meeting needs and meeting preferences about how folks want to receive and access information. So how is that piece going?
0: Exactly. That, to me, is also a huge component of this access point. First and foremost, not everybody has the time to go sit in a booth and deal with all that at that moment. So having those resources available to people is helpful just from a time perspective. But we also understood that the populations that we're dealing with, uh, maybe there are older people that are uncomfortable using computers and technology. So it was really, whether we like it or not, I personally, brochures, it's not for me, but this is not for me. The project, you know, is not for me. So having that research and the foundation to understand how people would like to receive information. And really, ultimately, just recognizing that there's not a one size fits all approach, that if we're going to have a thoughtfully designed service, that it has to be a spectrum, it has to meet a variety of people's needs and wants. And ultimately, it can, I look at the brochures, There was a lot of thought that went into those as well. Um, One could argue that you could do almost all the same types of services with that single brochure that you took away. We made sure to... You know, embed basic information, embed QR codes or links for the self-help forms that are related to that issue, make sure that people had access to our referral engine that would give them access to that same information that they would get in the booth itself. But they could take that away and do it in the comfort of their home or decide maybe they want to come back. It's a physical reminder, a physical manifestation of... Hopefully, our ability to help people feel like they are in a place to understand that there are resources available to them, and that we've collected them in a place that's easy for them to access. Overall, with all those considerations, I think it has definitely been going very well, despite what I would describe usually as like a loathing for brochures, (laughs) and and (laughs) and you could you could see it too on other you know, we think of brochures as like outdated technology or outdated delivery mechanisms. And maybe that's true in the existing format, but we've updated that in a way to make it a little bit more
1: accessible and holistic. Yes, again, meeting people where they are, which is the really the cornerstone of applying human-centered design. So I want to pull out and give you the opportunity to share with us what you think like two or three primary takeaways are from this project that others in other jurisdictions could really pick up and think about implementing where they are.
0: Well, I've already said it. It's not a new surprise to anyone, but it bears, I guess, repeating. And really, there's no way to complete a project like this without good, solid partnerships in these locations. I truly believe, and I have seen it, to be honest, even within this project, the disparity between like a good, solid relationship and understanding on both parts, you know, on our side as people who are the legal people, the legal team coming in to people that are dealing with members of the community Having that awareness and that strong partnership makes or breaks, you know, the project, the utility of it. In one example, we have very limited use of our system in one place because there's maybe not a full level of understanding or there's fear associated with it. There's only so much, you know, that we can do. But in other locations where we have that strong foundation, we get referrals to it. The librarians will send people directly there. They'll text me at all hours of the day. Hey, is this something that you can help me with? And I'm more than happy to respond to that because I think, as we have alluded to, technology is not the end-all, be-all of this. This is a true service design experiment. It goes so much beyond just one physical space or one you know software design project. It is truly a new service that we're trying to build here in these places that don't have access. So I really can't underestimate or go on, you know, long enough about how important those partnerships are. And maybe from my perspective, just simplicity is really important. I think when we do the research and we understand, we get all these assumptions, we create all these assumptions, but at the end of the day, many of the things that we're trying to solve could be addressed by just reducing complexity um, and speaking to people in simple ways that they understand that aren't, you know, over-the-top legalese and very complicated pathways that they have to follow, just simplifying things. And to be fair, if you're going to do that, you have to understand, you know, the ins and outs. I think the benefit of me... And the team that I had to work on this project with is that we have been around for a long time in Louisiana. And we know the system. We know who we're dealing with. We know what we're dealing with. So maybe that's another aspect too. I think a lot of times, especially on technology projects, it's easy to just hire an outside consultant and just do it in a six-month sprint and hope for the best. But we invested so much time and energy into and in our own knowledge about what our system looked like, that I think ultimately played into how we were able to get this to this point and have this level of success. And when I say success, I mean, people are using it. That's great. But we also have stakeholders and other community members that are like, how can I get one of these? Like, how can we continue to scale this out? So that's like a hybrid thing. Simplicity for the public's sake and it ultimately ties into like you knowing your system and tailoring what you're able to provide to that. But the time investment, it's essential. You you really, there's no shortcutting this process at all.
1: So knowing the system really well so that then you can simplify for the end user, right? Hard to simplify something that you don't know really well. So I want to wrap up with pointing people again to the site. We will include a link in the show notes. You include a treasure trove of project assets that you very generously share with folks. And so I just want to highly recommend that anyone who's interested in learning more about the creation of these legal access points and assets, the pieces of the project from the survey that you use for the human-centered design research to brochures, you include the brochures. Is there anything else you would like to highlight about the project assets?
0: I mean, just ask, I guess, if there's some particular. I actually built um, our website on a software system, a web builder called Webflow, and there you can duplicate things. I won't say that it's perfect and that it's 100% ready for somebody else to come in and administer it, but that's easily shareable as well. And yeah, I do have the actual, I use Canva to create the brochure. So if you want a copy of the template and to just edit, that's available too. But yeah, just reach out.
1: So maybe we'll also include a list of the tech that you use to create different aspects of the project assets so that. that folks could look at that as well. I am so delighted that you joined us today and shared about this project with us. I hope that others find some inspiration and some little nuggets that they possibly can take away and put into action in their jurisdictions. And I can't wait to see where this goes. I think proof positive the experiment is working. If folks are asking, can we get one of these legal access point booths and they're using them? I think your experiment's a success, Amanda. Congratulations.
0: Thank you. I love it. I'm super proud of the work. So thanks so much for having us on and hope to see you at ITC.
1: I will be there. See you there. (laughs) The ITC that Amanda and I are referring to, it's LSC's annual Innovations and Technology Conference. And in 2023, it will be held in Phoenix in January. We've dropped a link to the ITC website in the show notes if you'd like to learn more. Many, many thanks to Amanda for sharing about the Access Points project. And we are grateful for her generosity in sharing about the tools she used in the project, as well as the Treasure Trove digital project report that she created. You can find links to all of these resources in the show notes for this episode. And as always, thank you for joining us on this episode of Talk Justice, brought to you by Legal Services Corporation and Legal Talk Network. If you liked what you heard today, please be sure to rate and review the show and subscribe on your favorite podcast app
0: podcast guest speakers views thoughts and opinions are solely their
1: own and do not necessarily represent the legal services corporation's views thoughts or opinions the information and guidance discussed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice you should not make decisions based on this podcast content without seeking legal or other professional advice